website. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, um... I do different things on different shows, if you're a regular listener, you've noticed. And uh, St. Ignatius and this, his spiritual exercises were a huge influence on my conversion to the Catholic Church. Um, not introducing me to the Catholic Church, but bringing me fully into it and and seeing things in the proper way, as one should, in the light of faith. Uh, by the way, the light of faith is simply the light of truth. It's not anything as just you know as in contradiction or in in um, opposition to truth it's actually simply the r- truth truth in the light of eternity let's say and saint ignatius's spiritual exercises are based on what saint ignatius refers to as the first principle and foundation which is really the first principle and foundation of the owner's manual of how to live life on earth between birth and death so I was going to go back to St. Ignatius' spiritual exercises today uh, and begin with the first principle and foundation, uh, making use of some, some uh, explanation of it, who, which comes from a very, uh, I believe, saintly, recently deceased Jesuit priest, Father John Harden. And, uh, and then, as time permits, go on from the first principle foundation, uh, principle and foundation, go on to some of his rules for the discernment of spirits and other rules that he introduces in his spiritual exercises on, again, essentially how to approach life, how to understand life, and how to pursue life in the right way in order to get to heaven. So, uh, and, and this is a live call-in show. Uh, some days it's more difficult to call in because I have a guest who is giving his or her witness testimony and so forth. But today I will simply be speaking about uh, St. Ignatius and his spirituality as reflected in the spiritual exercises. And I'll be happy to take calls uh, at any point uh, during the show, interrupt myself, and then go back to it after the, the call. So if you wish to call in here, the number is 866-333-6279. Or eight six six three 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 Mary M A R Y, which of course is the same on your telephone dial pad as six two seven nine. First, let me begin by simply reading the first principle and foundation from Saint Ignatius. It really is the the uh, foundation stone of everything he has to say. So I will simply begin. It's only a few sentences long. Man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. All the other things on the face of the earth are created for man that they may help him in pursuing the end for which he is created. From this it follows that man is to use them to the extent that they help him to his end and should rid himself of them to the extent that they hinder him on his way to his end. For this it is necessary to make ourselves indifferent to all created things, in all that is allowed to the choice of our free will and that is not prohibited to it, so that on our part we should not prefer health over sickness, riches over poverty, honor over dishonor, a long life over a short life, and so on in all the rest. We should desire and choose only that which is most conducive for us to the end for which we are created. That end, of course, being to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. As much as I would like to start spinning out an explanation of this, I will simply turn to the words of Father John Harden, 
and use his explanation as a starting point. I am uh, reading a book that was actually, I believe, a transcription of an oral retreat that he gave. Uh, the title of the book is Retreat with the Lord. Um, so reading on his chapter on the first principle and foundation. Again, I'm reading from the words of Father John Harden, explaining the words of St. Ignatius in his spiritual exercises. First principle and foundation. The principle and foundation is a compendium of Christian spirituality. It is the principle of faith from which everything in Christianity finally derives. It is the foundation of morality on which everything in our lives finally depends. We can distinguish three elementary truths in the principle and foundation to form the master plan of our journey from God the Creator to God our eternal destiny. These three elementary truths are, number one, why are we created? Two, why are other things created? Three, how are we to use the other things created to reach heaven. First one, why are we created? We are created to know, love, and serve our Creator here on earth in order to reach heaven in a blessed eternity. We are therefore made by God out of nothing. He used nothing, and He parted with nothing when He created us. He gained nothing by bringing us into existence, and gains nothing by our obedience to his will. All the benefits of being created are on our side. God wants us to be at peace in this life and perfectly happy in the life to come. On both counts, peace of soul here on earth and beatitude in eternity depend on our faithful submission to the will of God. In other words, our eternal future depends on our present behavior. If we sincerely strive to please God here and now, He will reward us by satisfying our fondest desires for happiness in the life that will never end. Let me just discuss a little bit these words of uh, Father John Harden, which is uh, actually what struck, what struck me this time that I'm reading this, is the way he stresses that, yes, we are to be obedient to God. We are to do God's will, but not for God's sake. God does not gain anything by us doing his will. God doesn't need us to do his will. It is not for his sake that he wants us to do his will. It's for our sake that he wants us to do his will. It is we who benefit by doing God's will. It's we who, who lose out by not doing God's will. It's easy to think of the commandments of God, and the commandments of the Church for that matter, as things that God wants us to do for Him, and that we should do because He is asking us to do it, and therefore we owe it to Him to do them for His sake. In fact, Although there's a little whiff of truth in, in that attitude, the fundamental bedrock is that he is not asking us to do what he asks us to do for his sake, but for our sake. It is for our own sake, our own self-interest, our own peace of soul and happiness here on earth, and even more significantly, for our eternal bliss, frankly, in heaven that he is telling us what to do, that he is revealing his will to us, and that we are to do his will. All the benefits of being created are on our side, not God's side. God wants us to do his will in order for us to be at peace in this life and for us to be perfectly happy in the life to come. Very often when people make demands on us, you, you can think of a parent who's child makes demands on them, or a child whose parents makes demands on them. Um, you know, the natural fallen human tendency is to think that the other person is making demands on us for their sake. And that is definitely sometimes true in situations on earth. If the parent tells the child to shut up and stop answering questions, uh, excuse me, stop asking questions, it might be because the parent is exhausted 
answering the unending stream of questions and would like some peace and quiet. It might be for the parent's sake that he or she legitimately uh, makes a demand on the child. Similarly, of course, when children make a demand on the parent, it is, uh, if I can say so, almost always probably for the child's sake that they make the demand. We're used to demands being made on us for the sake of the person who makes the demand on us. That is not the case when it comes to God. Everything that God asks of, of us is not, he's not asking of us for his own sake. He doesn't need, in that sense, anything from us. He, every demand he makes of us, on us is for our own sake. It is true that in a, I don't want to say indirect way, but as a second order effect, God benefits because God wants our love and he wants us to be happy in eternity. He wants us to be happy with him. He wants to have the pleasure of loving us in all eternity and receiving our love in all eternity. So in that sense, of course, he benefits from our obedience. But that is a second order effect. The first order effect is that we will be in indescribable bliss in all eternity by doing his will, if we do do his will. So anyway, going on to the second truth reflected in the first principle and foundation, which is why are other things created? I'm turning back here to the words of Father John Harden. We exist here on earth to praise, know, reverence, love, and serve God. If we do this, we shall save our souls for heaven and from hell. This is the end or purpose of our life on earth, that we may reach eternal life in the world to come. But we cannot reach heaven without using the necessary means of getting there. That is why the rest of the world exists. It exists in order to enable us to attain our heavenly destiny. What are these other things on the face of the earth that are to help us in attaining the end for which we are created? They are everything that in any way enters or touches our lives. Every person, every place, or everything, every pleasure, every pain, every circumstance in which we find ourselves, every thought and every desire, every sight we see or every sound we hear, are all intended by God to be so many graces leading us to heaven. There is no such thing as chance with God. Everything is part of the loving providence of God, provided by Him to enable us to reach him in whom alone our hearts can find rest. St. Ignatius is careful not to use terms like was created, either for us or for the world in which we live. He prefers saying is created or are created to bring out the fact that God's creative power is constantly active in the world and always directed by him as a means of reaching a heavenly eternity. The secret is to see the hand of God in everything and not make the mistake of thinking that anything merely happens. With God, there is no such thing as fate or fortune or misfortune. All is part of his wise and loving plan for our salvation. Wow. Okay, I am going to go back through that now a little bit. that, uh, first of all, um, the end or purpose of our life on earth is to praise, know, reverence, love, and serve God, and by so doing, saving our souls for heaven and from hell. That is the purpose of our life on earth. However, we cannot reach heaven without using the necessary means for getting there that God has provided us. What are these necessary means for getting there? They are A, everything else created on the face of the earth. Everything created was, let me back up a little bit. Everything created was created for the purpose of the creation of human souls that get to heaven and 
spend an eternity loving and being loved by God in perfect bliss in heaven. That means that when God created the Amazon forest, he created the Amazon forest as a means of, in some indirect sense, enabling human souls to get to heaven. When he created the oceans, he created them in order to enable human souls to get to heaven. It doesn't just stop on earth, though. When he created the solar system, he created it in order to enable human souls to get to heaven. When he created the galaxies, he created them in order to enable human souls to get to heaven. When he created the laws of physics, when he created space and time and the fabric of the universe, there is nothing that exists in physical existence which was not created by God for one and the same purpose, and that was to result in human souls being able to get to heaven. Period. End of paragraph. That doesn't mean that we treat them with contempt or anything like that, but it does mean that they are not ends in themselves. Their end is in serving God's purpose in his creation of the entire physical universe, that purpose having been to create human souls to be with him in heaven. Everything else will pass away. The one thing that won't pass away is every single human soul that was created from the beginning of time until the end of time, the second coming. Every single human soul that was ever created is going to exist forever. And it's going to exist in one of two states, either in hell, suffering forever, or in heaven, being in infinite bliss forever. And that is the purpose for which everything was created. However, uh, Father Hardin points out a second dimension to this principle that everything created by God was created for the sake of our souls being able to reach heaven, and that is everything in our lives, everything that meets us in the course of our lives, every person whose path we cross, every happenstance that happens to us, every illness, every happy event, every unhappy event, every coincidence. Um, there is nothing that happens in our lives which is not part of God's intentional creation to enable us to get to heaven. I'm going to reread one of these paragraphs of Father Hardin. What then are these other things on the face of the earth that are to help us in attaining the end for which we are created? They are everything that in any way enters or touches our lives. Every person, every place, everything, every pleasure, every pain, every circumstance in which we find ourselves, every thought, every desire, every sight we see, every sound we hear, all are intended by God to be so many graces leading us to heaven. There is no such thing as chance with God. Everything is part of the loving providence of God, provided by him to enable us to reach him in whom alone our heart can find rest. Now, this isn't a very popular principle of the faith, to preach these days or to remind people these of these days because, let's face it, uh, if you look at the world at large, every human being in the world, probably the vast majority of things that happen to them are unpleasant rather than pleasant. Even in the best imaginable life, a very large number of things that happen to us are unpleasant. We have lots of misfortunes, we have lots of illnesses, we have lots of broken hearts, we have lots of occasions for impatience or anger or disappointment, and even if none of that happens, <laughs> one of two things are going to happen. Either we're going to die before we grow old, or we're going to grow old. And growing old is no fun in and of itself. Um, in other words, even if somebody miraculously should escape suffering until they reach old age, 
old age brings with it a lot of inevitable suffering, the the gradual loss of the faculties, the loss of physical strength, the um, continual sources of physical pain, and uh, finally, uh, debility and very often loss of mental faculties, loss of physical faculties, total dependence on others, all sorts of unpleasantnesses. But we, most of us don't have to wait until we're 90 years old to encounter many sources of suffering. So it's naturally, um, how can I put it, uh, people tend to avoid preaching that all of the unfortunate things, all of the things that cause suffering in one's life are also ordained by God because no one wants to be in the position of being confronted by somebody who says, you know, how dare you tell me that my terminal disease is God's choice for me? Or how dare you tell me that losing my child to a traffic accident with a drunk driver, you know, as a teenager was something that God wanted for me and so forth and so on. I don't want to be confronted with that, and I don't want to have to answer those questions. But I do want to defend God's prerogatives and God's omnipotence, which means that although it is beyond us to understand it, and it's tremendously challenging to our human nature, the truth is the truth. And the truth is that there is no such thing as chance with God. Everything is part of the loving providence of God. And again, if one... Um, is honest with oneself, as one grows older, one does tend to realize that many of the things that seem to be the worst disasters that befell one in life previously turned out to bear fruit. Um, this, this stems from the most minor misfortunes to quite major misfortunes that, um, you know, perhaps that um, illna, illness and uh, encounter with death brought us closer to God. Perhaps the trials of our lives made us grow in patience and fortitude. Maybe our personal emotional suffering made us grow in compassion and empathy with others. One can go on and on and on. I actually don't want to be forced to justify the providence of God. Uh, I know that I am unable to, but that doesn't mean that God didn't know what he was doing when he brought about that providence. One has a fundamental choice. One can live thinking that everything that happens is coming from the hand of God and receive it in that light, or one can live in a state of rebellion against what happens to one. Now, First of all, obviously, the former, that is accepting everything lovingly and as gratefully as one can as coming from the hand of God, will lead one to a more peaceful and resolute and um, loving life. However, that's not why one should choose, so to speak, that worldview. One should choose that worldview purely and simply because it's the truth. Saint, uh, by the way, it is, has been expressed by every saint I've ever heard of. Uh, saint Padre Pio said, for instance, quote, if man knew the true value of suffering, he would never pray for anything else. He also said that we accept with gratitude all of the good things that come to us from the hand of God. Shouldn't we with the same attitude, except the unpleasant things that come to us from the hand of God. The truth is we are in no position to know why God does what he does to us. If we insist on knowing why he has brought about the unpleasant events that he has brought about, we will never believe they're brought about by God because we will never be in a position to know why he does everything he does. However, if he is who he says he is, and he is, then we know as a matter of faith and a matter of logic that it's true that, again, I'll go back to the words of Father Hardin, there's no such thing as chance with God. Everything is part of the loving providence of God provided by him to enable us to reach him in whom alone our heart can find rest. I will close this little particular rant by simply saying we need a lot of transformation 
we start life with a very fallen human nature. And it's not surprising that there should be a lot of necessary unpleasantness to remold ourselves until we are actually uh, reflective of the, I hate to say it, but the virtues that Jesus showed, the virtues that the saints showed, and the virtues that we logically know we will have to have in order to end up in heaven. Um, I will simply go back to the last paragraph of Father Hardin in this little section. The secret is to see the hand of God in everything and not make the mistake of thinking that anything merely happens. With God, there is no such thing as fate or fortune or misfortune. All is part of his wise and loving plan for our salvation. Now, I have come very close to the halfway point in this program, so in another three or four minutes I will go to a short musical break, but I will interject a little a little personal comment which is in my initial uh, theophany and my initial experience of God, which took me from being a uh, atheistic Harvard Business School professor to being, I hope, a Catholic fanatic. I saw this. I literally saw this. I was not expecting this. I didn't even know the concept of this. But God gave me the exceptional grace of seeing my life as though I would see it after I died and was looking back over my life in the presence of God. And I actually saw that everything that had ever happened to me had been the most perfect thing that could be arranged coming from the hands of an all-knowing, all-loving God, not only including those things which caused the most suffering, but especially those things that caused the most suffering. The way I saw it was as though I'm walking forward and a stream of events is coming at me. And the stream of events which is coming at me is perfectly planned by God. My response to those events which come at me in this stream is not preordained by God. That's my free will. Sometimes I chose a very sinful action in response to what came towards me. So it's not as though my behavior was somehow preordained and, and not an act of free will. Every choice I made in the presence of what approached me uh, as the events of my life, all of those choices were my free will. However, God knew what my choice would be beforehand because he's outside of time. And therefore, he arranged that event to come to me so that it would turn out to be the most perfect thing that could have happened to me, given the choice that I was going to make, even though I had not yet made that choice, and I made that choice out of my free will. This was all done by virtue of, so to speak, God's existence outside of time, and therefore his ability to work outside of time in weaving together this tapestry. St. Padre Pio also said, that our lives are perfectly woven tapestry, but during this life we only see the underside, which looks like a you know chaotic mess of multicolored threads with no pattern or anything. It's only after we die that we'll be able to see the tapestry from the top side, and we'll be able to see the perfect pattern that was woven out of all of the events that came to meet us and all of our responses to those events. Um, Saint, uh, Father Hardin uh, closes this little passage with two quotes of St. Ignatius, which I'll read, and then we'll go to the musical break. The first one is, There are few men who realize what God would make of them if they abandoned themselves entirely to his hands and let themselves be formed by his grace. Happy are those who prepare themselves in this life to be judged and saved by his divine majesty. For his love and respect, I ask that, without delay, you most diligently reform your consciences so that on the day of our final and awesome destiny, your souls will be confident. And that is, in fact, this is Roy, of course, interjecting again, that is, in fact, the bottom line. Everything we do, everything in, that we do every day of our lives until the day we die, ideally, would be done in the light of the day that we do die and the day of our final and awesome destiny. 
that we come face to face with God and everything in our lives will lead. This sentence is actually not strictly true, so I'll stop there. But everything in our lives will find its meaning in the eternity which we have chosen through our lives. So with that, I'll go to the short musical break. Again, this is a live call-in program, and if you wish to call, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And when we come back from the break, I will go immediately to the call board, and if there are any calls, I will answer your questions or or uh, hear your comments or whatever. And absent that, I will continue with the discussion of St. Ignatius' first principle and foundation, as in part explained by Father John Harden. So with that, let's uh, go to our musical break. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman. I'll be back in a few moments. Hi, this is Roy Shoman. Welcome back to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism. I have been spending today with uh, two good friends, let's say. One is St. Ignatius, and the other is uh, the recently deceased Father John Harden. Uh, By the way, um, let me just put in a plug. I cannot recommend Father John Harden too highly. Um, He he, uh, spent his life giving many wonderful, wonderful uh, retreats and talks, and many of them are up on the Internet and um, there's still an organization that makes them available on CDs and, um, God forbid, probably even cassette tapes still. And um, he wrote a lot, and everything he said and everything he wrote is very worthwhile. And in particular, he wrote um, a catechism. I think it's just called Catechism uh, by Father John Harden. And I read it very, very early in my entry into the Catholic Church. And it is really excellent, and it's very readable. It's not a catechism like we're used to, which is a little bit encyclopedic, you know, a little bit like a dictionary where it goes through a table of things, point after point after point. It's really a a, uh, more of a narrative story of the development of Catholic theology and Catholic uh, doctrine. Uh, So it's... I don't know how to put it, but it reads very smoothly, and at the end of it, one has a, a wonderful overarching picture of uh, the truths of the Catholic faith and all how they all tie together. However, after that little uh, commercial, let me go back to the discussion of his, of St. Ignatius's first principle and foundation that I'm taking from a, uh, actually from a retreat he preached which is published as a book called Retreat with the Lord. So, um, The third truth that is reflected in St. Ignatius's first principle and foundation is how are we to use creatures in order to reach heaven? We are to use the creatures in our lives. By the way, when he says creatures, it is referring to created things, all of the created things in our lives. We are to use all of the created things in our lives discriminately and dispassionately. Both adverbs refer to qualities belonging to the essence of our Christian faith. Discriminately, in the words of the exercises, we are to use created things insofar as they help us attain our eternal end, and we are to get rid of them insofar as they prove a hindrance on our road to salvation. Now, I'm interjecting here. Nothing could be more obvious, right? If you're about to climb Mount Everest and you have a backpack weighing 80 pounds, you have in that backpack things that are going to help you reach the top of Mount Everest. And if you have anything in that backpack that is going to hinder you from reaching the top of Mount Everest, you're going to throw it out of that backpack. It's in the nature of having a goal that you're trying to reach that you are going to make use of anything that helps you towards that goal and getting rid of anything that hinders you towards that goal. We know that our goal is to reach heaven. We know that all created things are 
provided to us in order to help us reach that goal. And therefore, we should make use to them to the extent that they help us reach that goal. And we should get rid of them to the extent that they hinder us from reaching that goal. It's not rocket science. Back to uh, Father Hardin. In general, we can distinguish four kinds of creatures in our lives. Uh, let me rephrase that. In general, we can distinguish four kinds of created things in our lives. There are those that God wishes us to enjoy. Others he wishes us to endure. Still others he wants us to remove. And finally, there are the created things he wants us to sacrifice. What does this mean? It means that I must discriminate, or that is separate, classify, if you wish, all of the created things in my life into four categories and ask myself, number one, what, purses, what persons, places, and things does God want me to enjoy? Number two, what persons, places, or things does he want me to suffer or endure? Number three, what, purses, what persons, places, or things does he want me to remove from my life because they lead me into sin? Four, what persons, places, or things in my life are not occasions of sin, yet God invites me to surrender them, to give them up, not because I have to, but because I want to sacrifice out of love for him. So, basically, everything in our lives falls into one of these four categories. Everything in our lives is either there because God wants us to enjoy them, there because God wants us to endure them, there because God wants us to get rid of them because they lead us to sin, or there because God wants us to get rid of them, not because they lead us to sin, but as an act of sacrifice, oblation to God. Um, so that's what it means to, um, to use the created things in our lives with discrimination. It means that we basically place everything in our lives into one of those four categories, and once we've done that, we know what to do with them, how to behave towards them. Um, the other key was that we are to use everything in our lives dispassionately. What's that mean? Dispassionately. Back to Father John Harden. Knowing human nature, Ignatius assumed that we are not spontaneously drawn to what is pleasing to God, nor spontaneously repulsed by what is displeasing to him. Our fallen nature, tainted by sin and concupiscence, inclines us to what we want, and not necessarily to what we need. That is why we must, quote, make ourselves indifferent to all created things so far as we are allowed free choice and not under any prohibition. That quote was from the first principle and foundation. To illustrate what this means, we should consequently, quote, not prefer health to sickness, riches to poverty, honor to dishonor, a long life to a short life. The same holds true for all other things. This is the bedrock of our struggle through life, quote, to make ourselves indifferent to all created things, close quote according to the will of God. This indifference that we are to cultivate is not a denial of the obvious. Pleasant things will remain pleasant, and painful things will remain painful. But we train our wills to control our desires for what is pleasant and to control our, our fears of what is painful. Needless to say, this is not easy. Humanly speaking, it is impossible which is why we need the grace of God. A concluding directive from St. Ignatius, our one desire and choice should be what is more conducive to the end for which we were created. Close quote. With the grace of God, we can gradually master our desires. This will enable us to choose what is more certain and more effective in leading us to eternal life. The comparative more is not causal. Our disposition should be to do more than we are obliged to under penalty of sin. So let me go back through this a little bit. Let me also kind of point out that in a way 
this very short first principle and foundation that I began the show by reading. Perhaps at the end of the show I will read it once again. And the explanation, the unpacking of its content in a sense, is, dare I say, all of Christianity in a nutshell, or perhaps even more broadly, it is the owner's manual for human life in a nutshell. So let me go back to um, these words of Father John Harden and, and kind of unpack them a little bit. Now, St. Ignatius is not a fool. We have a fallen human nature. The characteristic, or one of the characteristics of this fallen human nature is disordered desires. We desire things not necessarily because they are good in an objective sense, but because they cause us some kind of pleasure. In the words of Dietrich von Hildebrand, a subjective satisfaction. Now, this runs the full gamut of human experience. This could be you know, a third scoop of chocolate ice cream after dinner, which is not good for us, we may actually know it's not good for us, but we want it nonetheless because of the pleasure it gives. Or it can be an extremely negative um, subjective satisfaction. Somebody has done us wrong. And, oh, well, here's a stupid example, but it happens in, in human life. You know, somebody does us wrong, so we vandalize their car. That's certainly been done you know, innumerable times. Somebody's done us wrong, so we get back at them. You know, we spread malicious rumors about them, or we, as I said, you know, key their car, or we call them up at 3 o'clock in the morning repeatedly to break their sleep and annoy them. God knows what it is. All of those things are, are actually um, worse than being not good. They are sins. They are evils. They are active evils. History is full of plenty of situations in which People have um, exacted revenge by hurting somebody or killing somebody simply for the subjective satisfaction of getting back at them. This is part of fallen human nature. We cannot trust our desire for subjective satisfaction. We cannot trust our desires. We have to rein them in by our wills. We have to... Um, uh, overcome the impulses for, to uh, our own impulses for our own satisfactions. We have to, over them, we have to apply our knowledge, our wills, our understanding, and say to our lower selves, sure it would feel good to do that, but nonetheless I am telling you, I'm ordering you not to do that because I know what the greater good is. And the greater good is, of course, pleasing God and doing what is right and doing that which will lead us towards the goal for which we were created, which is to end up in heaven. So if we are slaves of our passions, so to speak, we will be continually going in the wrong direction. If we look at everything in the light of whether it's conducive to our final end, that is ending up in heaven, then we will have to master our fallen human nature. We will have to master our inclinations. This is not the work of a day or a month of a or a year. This is the work of a lifetime. It's not easy. We can't do it in our own strength, but we can do it through or with all the tools we've been given from the Catholic Church, by the Catholic Church. We have, first of all, the teaching, explanations, and example of Jesus. And you know that um, wristband that people sometimes wear or used to wear, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Now, it may not be the deepest theology in the world, but it's a pretty useful first step. In other words, if we're doing something that is something we could never imagine Jesus doing, then we ought to think twice about whether it's the right thing to do. If we're doing what we would um, logically conclude Jesus would do in a certain situation, then it's probably a pretty good road sign that we're on the right track. So we have the example of Jesus, we have the teaching of Jesus, but as Catholics we have something infinitely, I don't want to say infinitely greater, but anyway, so I have to leave that aside, but we have something infinitely powerful in addition to that, which is we have the sacraments, which um, 
enable us to have a much more intimate relationship with grace. And in particular, we have the sacrament of confession, which enables us to refresh our consciences, to discern our consciences in the sacrament of confession, to implore very specific grace from God to overcome the fault that we have confessed in the sacrament of confession, and even with the grace of God to observe over time as we make use of the sacrament of confession that we are actually making headway against whatever particular faults we are trying to overcome through the sacrament of confession. And if we're unaware of um, places where we have to develop a stronger self-mastery because we're still falling into faults, perhaps not completely knowingly, in other words, we may not be sufficiently conscious of them, if we do make use of the sacrament of confession regularly, um, uh, frankly, at least bi-weekly, weekly or bi-weekly, um, it's inevitable that one will become aware of layer after layer after layer of faults. So it's not that we will ever be free of any faults. Uh, that's, that, you know, it's extremely unlikely that any of us will ever be entirely free of faults. A great saint, Louis de Montfort, the, the saint who wrote True Devotion to Mary, the saint who... Uh, just read read his life, by the way. It's wonderful. There's a wonderful, uh, easy biography of him called Wisdom's Fool by Eddie Doherty. Um, it's written... I mean, it would be very easy reading for a high school student, but it's a wonderful, wonderful biography of Louis de Montfort. He uh, worked himself to death, literally, spreading the gospel. He died of exhaustion in his early 40s. He sat down in an armchair to rest in the evening, and he literally died from exhaustion. And the final words that passed from his lips as he was sitting there dying was, thank goodness, at least this way I won't sin anymore. So if he died with an awareness of his continual sin on his lips, um, <laughs> that says a lot about our situation. We're hardly in a better situation than he is. We are going to sin probably until the day we die. However, with the graces, with the um, means which are given to us by the Catholic Church, and with the fundamental goodwill as expressed in this first principle and foundation, with any luck at all, so to speak, we will find that the process is one of continually sinning less and less and committing smaller and smaller sins. So it's like the layers of an onion, right? Peeling the onion layer after layer after layer. We'll never f get through all the layers. We'll never finish peeling off all of the layers of the onion. However, every week, every month, every year, we will have gone to a the next layer in, the next layer in, the next layer in, and with each layer that we discard, we will have gotten rid of, you know, grosser and less gross and so forth sins until the sins that we are continuing to commit, uh, please God, are venial sins and are not things that totally shatter our relationship with God and that they become even smaller and smaller venial sins. They might over time become more and more sins of omission rather than sins of commission and so forth. Speaking of sins of omission, Father John Harden also famously said that unless, I think he may have been speaking about priests, he was after all a priest and a religious, but I think he said that if a priest does not go to bed dog-tired at the end of the day, that is a confessible sin. In other words, over the course of the day, a religious priest should totally exhaust themselves to the point of total exhaustion by the end of the day by doing everything they possibly can in order to help souls on their way to God. So with that, I have um, come pretty much to the end of the show. So let me just close by, re -re first of all, reading uh, a prayer that St. Ignatius is credited with having written to call the, uh, excuse my pronunciation of Latin, I'm not even going to try, my tongue is not cooperating today, receive, O Lord. 
or take, O Lord. Um, it's a S U S C I P E. Um, anyway, so let me read that prayer, which reflects Saint Ignatius's spirituality. Take, O Lord, and receive my entire liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All that I have, all that I am, all that I possess, you have given me. I surrender it all back to you, to be disposed of according to your will. Give me only your love and your grace, and with these I will be rich enough and will desire nothing more. Okay, again, it's only logical. It's only logical, and it is, you know, the path to heaven. And speaking of the path to heaven, I will close by rereading St. Ignatius's first principle and foundation. Man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. All the other things on the face of the earth are created for man so that they may help him in achieving the end for which he is created. From this it follows that man is to use them to the extent that they help him on to his end and should rid himself of them to the extent that they hinder him from it. For this it is necessary to make ourselves indifferent to all created things in all that is allowed as a choice of our free will and not prohibited to us, so that, on our part, we should not prefer health over sickness, riches over poverty, honor over dishonor, a long life over a short life, and so on in all the rest. We should desire and choose only that which is most conducive for us to achieve the end for which we are created. Amen. So, I've come to the end of the hour. I hope you've enjoyed this. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. I have been spending this show talking about St. Ignatius's first principle and foundation, otherwise known as the Owner's Manual for Human Life, you know, 101, or, you know, kind of the... the um, uh, you know, the, the, the short instructions for how to live life. So anyway, I've babbled long enough. I'm at the end of the show. You've been listening to the show on Radio Maria, and I hope you join us again next week, same time, same place, for Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. This is Roy Shulman saying bye for now. <laughs>